It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio KCAW in Sitka. Today is Monday, August 30th, 2021. I'm Brooke Schaefer with Raven News. Booking is now open for winter ferry service on the Alaska Marine Highway System. The State Department of Transportation released its seven-month schedule on Thursday. That schedule runs from October 1st through the first week in May. At most, there will be five vessels running, and with upcoming maintenance scheduled, some communities will see long gaps, especially in January and February, when both the Leconte and Kennecott will be overhauled. Transportation officials said they tweaked the final schedule following public comment. Now it aligns for two regional basketball tournaments. And a once-monthly trip between Juneau and Cake was added in October and November, while the mainliner at Matanuska is being overhauled. Sitka also will receive an additional northbound sailing each month. Neither of the $60 million Alaska-class ferries will be running. The Taslina remains tied up at Juneau's Auk Bay Terminal, Its sister ship, Hubbard, has yet to enter service. It's being fitted with space for crew quarters later this year. That'll allow it to sail for longer than 12 hours between ports, extending its range and flexibility. The fleet's largest ship, the Columbia, will also remain tied up as a cost-savings measure. But that could change under a draft summer schedule recently released. It says state officials are also seeking to resume links with Prince Rupert, British Columbia, if outstanding issues with U.S. Customs can be resolved. Written comments for summer 2022 are being accepted now through the end of August. Teleconferences to hear additional testimony and suggestions for adjustments are scheduled for September 2nd. A fish and game fisheries technician is recovering after being attacked and mauled by a bear during a routine stream survey north of Sitka in August. Jess Coltharp says quick response from his co-workers and emergency training kept a bad situation from getting worse. KCAW's Catherine Rose reports. Sitkin Jess Coltharp has been working for fish and game for 14 seasons surveying streams. For the most part, the main part of my job is just walking creeks and counting salmon and then reporting uh, escapement numbers back to the office so they have an idea of how many how many fish are going up the creek and spawning. Most jobs have hazards and some are worse than others. Fishermen have to be aware of the weather. Postmen have to know where the unfriendly dogs are on their routes. For Coltharp, bear awareness is important. Sightings and interactions are common in his line of work. It's usually about 80 to 90 bears a summer is what you run into. Um, And of course, not all of those are close contact, but um, a good good portion of them are. So that over 14 years now, you're looking at around a thousand bears. You're eventually going to run into them in a bad situation where you don't know they're there or you startle them. And that's what happened on August 19th. Coltharp was a few hours north of Sitka, surveying a stream on West Chichikov Island with his deckhand, Anthony Wallach, and a volunteer named Ethan. It was around 5 p.m., and they'd already walked the stream and they'd counted the fish. Relieved to be finished with their work for the day, they were heading back to their boat on a side trail about 20 yards away from the river. Coltharp was walking ahead of the other two men when he heard the salmonberry bushes rustling. I remember looking over my shoulder and I was saying something to him when I kind of heard the bushes crashing. And that's when I looked up and looked over to where the sound was coming from. And it couldn't even really see it all at first because the brush was pretty thick, but at about 20 feet away, there's just this bear that comes charging out of the brush at full speed. He says it all happened so fast. 
without any, you know, warning at all, normally when they're defensive over their territory, you, you know, they, they let you know, they get all huffy and puffy and they start popping their jaw and making a lot of noise. And there was, there was absolutely none of that going on. Coltharp grabbed his gun from a sling on his back and tried to load the chamber, but the bear was faster than he was. So he jumped to the side to get his upper body and head out of the way in the hopes that Wallach, who was also armed, could get in a shot. That's when the bear reached down and just kind of chomped me across my, uh, right above my kneecap and was just shaking me around by my leg. Remember, I was just uh, laying there as it's it's got me, just yelling, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it, about as fast as I could say it. And uh, the moment I heard that gunshot was the exact same moment I felt that bear release. And uh, it was it was done after one shot. The next part is a bit of a blur for Coltharp. It's like your adrenaline is kind of fighting your your body wanting to go into shock almost. So it's like you're kind of fighting with yourself a little bit, trying to figure out how to deal with it. I, I remember standing up immediately afterwards and just looking at Anthony and telling them, you know, like, nice shot thanks for saving my life sort of thing. But, you know, I think I had a smile on my face because I was just so damn relieved that that bear didn't have me anymore. And then I remember feeling the blood run down my leg. And then it became a little bit of a, oh, yeah, we've got to still make sure that we're going to be okay here. So the three men took a moment to work out a plan. They made a tourniquet for Coltharp's leg wound, and they had an in-reach phone, so they contacted their boss, who made preparations to send a float plane to pick them up where they'd left their boat, about a half a mile hike away. Together, they had a lot of emergency response training. Coltharp says they used a lot of it, and he credits that training for keeping a bad situation from becoming worse. And I'm not somebody that thinks that, you know, there's bears out there in the woods ready to jump on you, even though this... That's pretty, pretty much what happened in this case. But um, yeah, being prepared just in case it does happen is, is huge. Um, you might think, oh, I've walked this trail a hundred times and I've never, you know, had any issues in my whole life. But that one day where you do, if you're not prepared, it's, it's the difference between life and death. Coltharp was rushed back to Sitka on a float plane and was in the Mount Edgecombe Medical Center emergency room being attended to a little over two hours after the attack happened. He's had surgery since then, and now he's on the mend, though he has weeks of recovery and physical therapy ahead of him. He says he can't thank Wallach enough for his quick reaction, which likely saved his life. Anthony's never going to have to buy a drink around me ever again, so that's, (laughs) I definitely owe that guy a lot. So he'll be, He'll be reaping the benefits of that for a while, I think. (laughs) Reporting in Sitka, I'm Catherine Rose. As of Friday, 15% of the available hospital beds in Alaska are occupied by COVID patients, putting a huge strain on a healthcare system that traditionally has a lot of other illnesses and injuries to attend to at this time of year. The hospital crunch is especially frustrating for Alaska's providers, who, thanks to widely available vaccines, now consider COVID-19 a preventable disease. KCAW's Robert Woolsey reports. You remember back in the spring of 2020 when everyone was talking about bending the curve or flattening the curve? They were referring to keeping the rate of hospitalization below capacity. This is John King on CNN in March of that year. This is the point about bending the curve. 
A surge of cases will overwhelm hospital capacity, both the beds, the supply lines. That's a surge of cases. So you need to stretch it out with social distancing and other measures to bend the arc, stretch out the care. That is not what is happening at the moment. In Alaska, the curve touched that line in November of 2020 when over 300 patients were hospitalized for COVID. As of August 27th, there are 127 hospitalizations in the state, 90 of them in intensive care unit beds, leaving just 29 ICU beds available for new patients. That sounds like an adequate supply, but it isn't. In just the two previous days, the state reported over 1,300 new cases. Dr. Ann Zink, chief medical officer for the state of Alaska, says this doesn't just mean tough luck for COVID patients. Other patients die when the system is under strain. When you have a lot of cases at once, it can really overwhelm the healthcare system. And then you start to get excess deaths, not only from COVID, but from other things as well. But we continue to try to flatten that curve to not have everything hit at once so we can maintain capacity so we don't see excess deaths. In Sitka, Dr. Elliot Brule told the Emergency Operations Center on August 25th that patients with serious COVID-19 disease were being medevac to Seattle because Alaska's hospitals were nearing capacity. But by far the most frustrating element of the current situation is that unlike in 2020, when lockdowns, social distancing, and masking were the only tools against COVID, the disease is almost fully preventable now. Vaccinated individuals may get a case of COVID, but they're unlikely to become seriously ill or die from the disease. Dr. Zink said clinicians across the state are desperate to help people get better, and hospitalization stays for COVID patients have been reduced by a couple of days with new therapies like monoclonal antibodies. But it would all be moot, game over, if everyone eligible would get vaccinated. But even better than treatment is having your own immune system take down this virus. And basically all the vaccine does is it tells your own immune system how to take down the virus. It doesn't compete with your immune system. It doesn't diminish your own immune system's ability to take down the virus. It can respond in all sorts of different ways. It just gives it a, a head start in being able to take it up. So it is supporting our immune systems by getting vaccinated and helping to minimize that. On a positive note, Zink said that the current surge combined with full approval by the Food and Drug Administration of the Pfizer vaccine on August 23rd was pushing up Alaska's vaccination rate. Over 60% of the state's eligible residents now have received at least one dose. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Robert Woolsey. I'm Brooke Schaefer, and this has been Raven News. This is 